Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. We've got another ATP Challenger check-in for all of you listeners today as I am joined by Crack Rackets contributor David Gertler to talk about Jensen Brooksby's run to his third Challenger title of the year in Tallahassee. We also discuss Nicolas Yari starting his time off in Ecuador with a Challenger title. He'll be competing again in Ecuador this week as well. We talk about his prospects. In that event, we talk about guys like Bjorn Fratangelo, Juan Manuel Serendolo, Tanasi Kokonakis, Tim Van Richeven. It is a challenger-rich pod on today's show. Of course, not only do we briefly recap some of last week's action, we also try our best to focus on the action that's happening this week in a rare tangent as well. We also talk a hair of NFL draft at the top. I know we try and keep us tennis-focused, tennis-centric here at Cracked Rackets, but couldn't help myself when I had David on the line. Sometimes I just like to bait him into getting into arguments, and he'll often take the bait, and from there, the podcast gets uh, perhaps its most fun. So a shout-out to David, as always, for joining us. Again, we talk a little NFL draft at the top, but then recap last week's Challenger action, preview the week ahead as well. Of course, the reason we're able to do this day in, day out here on the Great Shot Podcast is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Crack Rackets Patreon family, and of course, from our friends at Turn a Tennis. You guys know, Turn a Grip, the only grip that gets tackier when you sweat its performance in hot and humid conditions, unmatched, and yes, that iconic bluish purple hue. It can be seen on the uh, on the grips of rackets of hundreds of touring pros if you would like to get college pricing or free samples, you can email Tennis at sales at uniquesports.com or call 800-554-3707. Again, that's sales at uniquesports.com or 800-554-3707. We are so grateful from the support we get from our friends at Tennis. If you would like to join the Turn team, just contact sales at uniquesports.com or call 800-554-3707. With that in mind, let's get to this week's ATP Challenger check-in with Crack Rackets contributor, David Gertler. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Joining us on the podcast once again today, you know him as a writer on our website, CrackRackets.com. You may have also seen his work on Last Word on Tennis. You may also 
know him on Twitter as TennisBlogger1. I know him as my <laughs> friend David Gertler. David, hey, great shot as always. How are you doing today? Doing pretty good. Yeah, I'm pretty fired up this morning, ready to talk some tennis. <laughs> I am glad to hear it. How are you feeling if I were to compare your uh, stamina right now to Jensen Brooksby? Because I feel like this is six weeks in a row for you on the pod. And I know, you know, that's new for you. Six weeks consecutively. You're still feeling good. Your legs are holding up. You're ready to win the title this week. Yeah, I, I am. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty damn good. I'm, uh, <laughs> I, I have some coffee in me. I went on a run this morning. I am ready to go. I'm glad to hear that. How are we feeling about the Pelicans today? I know that is always a source of stress for you. I know uh, not anymore because they're out of the they're out of the playoff picture. But I'll tell you what they uh, they as soon as they I, we needed them to start losing, they beat the Clippers. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, so you know, now at this point, I want to start tanking a little bit so we can get potentially you know if the lottery goes our way a better draft pick. Um, mm-hmm. But you know. That just no. they do they do the opposite of what you want them to do. So yeah, makes yeah, sense. I'll draft tomorrow night too. Um, so that'll be interesting. Uh, Is the draft already tomorrow night? I'm doing the date in my head because my little brother's birthday is April 25th, and I guess shout out to him. Happy belated birthday! We missed that day on the podcast, but I went on Tennis Channel that day, so that yes, was my birthday gift. To that him. was so exciting for you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. That was just my way of humbly bragging about that fact. But I can't believe his birthday, April 25th. It's always right around draft time you're right it is NFL draft season and it's crazy to think that it's also I will say at a minimum at least you have Zion as a Pelicans yeah. fan like as a Pistons fan where I'm supposed to get excited about another Killian Hayes turnover like I don't think so or yeah. you know Jeremy Grant it's the emptiest calorie 25 hey. points you're ever gonna see hey next year's the year of the Lions so <laughs> oh from your mouth I, I thought your Tigers aren't doing too well either so uh uh, we don't need to get into Detroit sports unless you want to hear my feelings get hurt, David. So we'll save that. Uh, I'll give you uh, one more thing about the draft. Is I am a Please. Mac Jones truther. I think he's going to be much better than people think he's going to be. Wait, you're a truther in the fact that you think he's going to be very good? I, I People have discounted him so much. And I'm here to say I think he's going to be better than Fields. I think he wow. is... I think he is near, you know, he's basically Joe Burrow from last year or from two years when Joe was in college without the hype. Look at his mother. Yeah. So why I disagree, I mean, we're talking quarterbacks here on the Great Shot Podcast. This is a first, and I know all the listeners are enjoying this. Why I disagree, but Rose just a little bit more athletic, a little bit more mobile in the pocket, a little bit liver of an arm. Also, and I do consider myself a scholar of Alabama football because I've always been attracted to greatness, watch the two, just watch the film between the 2019 or whatever the last full season was, 2020, and this year. I mean, Watching Tua throw to Devontae Smith, Jerry Judy, and Henry Ruggs, and Jalen Waddell, it was unfair. And yeah, it was but just look, like, at the, look at the receivers. Yeah, but Mac Ellis Jones did the same thing. It's like Ellis? those receivers are always 10 yards open. And it's like, you, you're right. You have to be on time. You have to make the read. But, like, as long as you are a functional quarterback, you have the read available to you every time. I guess, but you know, like Burrow had some great weapons too. Like, like even it's his true. tight end was uh, uh, Randy Moss's son, who was terrific. Yeah. 
No, it's true. And Jamar Chase, and I forget who the other one, Justin Jefferson, who was the rookie of the year, I think, offensively for the Vikings. Wow, we are really in-depth here. Um, right. No, I mean, no, 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 no. I, I kind of like this. I like exploring this. We Every so often, you got to throw a little draft talk at our listeners because it is a big sporting event coming up. I like it, though. You think the Niners take Mac Jones? You're going to be okay with it? I mean, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I feel a little bad for Jimmy G. Uh, <laughs> you know, just because, like, he, when he was in this, you know, the last offseason, there was so much, you know, he was, you know, talked about so much better. You know, he was, the last year he came off the Super Bowl, people were thinking he was going to go to new heights, and then last season happened, and. Yeah. I mean, this would be my argument for them not drafting Mac Jones, would be, don't you know what a Mac Jones-type quarterback can produce in the Kyle Shanahan system? And Kyle Shanahan's answer to that is yes, and that's why I want one, because as long as I have a quarterback who throws where I tell them to throw, we're going to put up 35 points a game. But Justin Fields, at least, is the opposite of Jimmy Garoppolo, right? And yeah, it, it might take a year or two to get him where you want him to go, but I take the high swing. You know, Kyle Shanahan's as good of a coach as you're going to find if you're the Niners. I swear that I am not just saying I'm not a big fan of Fields because I'm a Michigan He's a Buckeye. Guy. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I actually said this in my group chat too, and I got, in my football group chat, I got a lot of uh, pushback because people, uh, <laughs> when I said that Mac was going to be better than Fields, I just don't, first off, I don't, I don't think, Fields is going to be that durable. I don't, I'm not, I just have never been that impressed with him. Um, yeah, and I think I'm also, I know that's a little bit of like a Skip Bayless take, but I don't really care. Uh, <laughs> it's fair. I, again, disagreements are good. And for us to start over a disagreement in football, I think that is going to lead us to great places on today's podcast. And with that in mind, let's talk about some things I know we are going to agree oh, on. Man. Check in on the ATP Challenger Tour. Last yeah. week, we had three events in Tallahassee, Rome, and in Ecuador. This week, we've got another three. Tallahassee traded for Ostrava, Rome, Ecuador, putting on second events here this week. Let's start where we began last week as well, because you look at the success for Jensen Brooksby. He wins his first challenger of the year in South Africa, wasn't the most loaded of draws, and certainly, you know, the young 20-year-old American had flashed high upside, high potential early in his career. So for him to win a challenger title, I don't think that surprised anyone. For him to go from the outdoor elevated courts of South Africa to the indoor courts of Cleveland, make a final there, follow that up by winning, you know, Miami qualifying, whatever, winning around there, but then going to Orlando, not dropping a set, winning challenger title number two on outdoor hard courts again. We all knew Jensen Brooksby, hard courts, he was always going to be a tough out at the challenger level. But for him to win Orlando, not drop a set, Go to Tallahassee, change surfaces to green clay, play four three-set matches, and win all of them to win his second uh, consecutive challenger title and third challenger title of the year. He's now 23-4 and overall on this season, David. Most of the matches, all but I believe one tournament, have come at the challenger level. He's up to number 166 in the world with this result. It's a new career high for him. You look at all the various tennis abstract metrics 
metrics. He's a top 70 player via their total ELO ranking. Now, I believe he's sitting at number 64. You look at the yearly ELO ratings on the men's side. Jensen Brooksby, he's not top 100, David. He's not top 50. He's number 26 in 2021 ELO rating. Now, that's that's probably, yeah, that's probably a bit hyperbolic, but someone. I'll say it was Jeff Sackman of Tennis Abstract. We were texting back and forth, and he was like, you know what? I think Jensen Brooksby's the Sebastian Baez of of hardcourt challenger events. I don't think you can say that anymore because he just won an event on the green clay, and you're right. But we should should specify that the green clay is not like – you're going to see at Roland Garris. Uh, it's it's fair, but you talk for Brooksby now, who, again, up to number 165 in uh, the live rankings. You look for him just in the race to Shenzhen, which is the uh, race to Shenzhen, excuse me, race to London, which is just how many points he's accumulated here compared to everyone else in the 2021 season. He's number 48 on that mark, David, and I have to say, like, if you're asking me what's more accurate, number 160 or number 48, Given his results this year, is it fair to say 48? I mean, the guy's no, just been ridiculous. I, I would, I would no, because the ATC <laughs> level is just so much different from the challenger level. Yeah, you know, we have no okay. idea how that serve's going to work against, you know, the against. I guess we do in terms of his run at the USO, yeah, you know, when he beat Burdich. But like in general, I don't know. I want to see how that serve works against ATP level guys. It's a fair question, but you look for the numbers for him in Tallahassee this week. He actually had a dip in his service performance. He made about 65% of his first serves for the week. Normally, over this stretch, he's been around 70%, but it was the similar effectiveness that we've seen. He wins about, you know, somewhere between 68 and 70% of his first serve points on the week. He's winning over 50% of his second serve points in that final against Bjorn Fertangelo, most impressively. He saved 16 of the 19 break points he faced overall on the week. He faced, I'm doing some quick math here in my head, 41 break points. He was able to save uh, 22, 6, I think 29 of them. Uh, I mean, it's not conventional. We yeah. discussed that, David. It's it's the fact it's death by a thousand paper cuts. He, his length, his wingspan, he's going to mm-hmm. track down that ball you expected to get by him. He's going to put more pace, more depth on that shot than you expected as well. But it's just working, David. Like, I'm sorry yeah. for swearing, but it just is. Yeah, so his second serve return was really impressive last week. Yes. He held every opponent to 50% second serves, one or less. Um, and there were a couple pretty big yeah, not huge servers, but decent servers like say say about the wheel and Mena. Um, Mena only won sixty percent of his first serves and fifty percent of his second serves. Say about the wheel did better in the first serve, won seventy two percent of the first serves, but only fifty percent of his second serves. Um, yeah, it his, his second serve was return was really good. Um, backhand up yeah up the line, it's really impressive. Um, his backhand's definitely a strength. You know, Mike talked about on uh, on the on with Noah in on their podcast. I listened to it this morning. Uh, they both made some good points. Uh, I, Mike said that it was unquantifiable what makes Brooksby so good, um, which I agree with. I was actually talking at work with someone yesterday. We were, we were both kind of like, what makes him that good? Because there's not that one shot. There's not like that one big serve or that huge forehand. I mean, forehand. I mean his backhand's good, but it's not... It's not like the Djokovic backhand. 
I know that's hyperbole, but... No, it, you're not wrong. I mean, his backhand's ATP level, right? And I, I know you, I don't think you would argue with that. I know that's no, not the I would point not you're trying to make. That. But it's not the elite of the elite to what you're saying. It's not like a Zverev Korda. You watch it for two seconds. You're like, holy crap. Yeah. Like, this, this backhand is special. This backhand might be the best on tour. But his backhand is never going to be an issue for him at any level. His ability, as you mentioned, to go line, to go cross, to take it early as a return, that is his elite skill. Also, just, I would say, and this is, it's a non-quantifiable thing as well, and you know, again, the over-under for when were you going to quote the Mike Cation podcast on today's show was seven and a half minutes, so you hit the slight <laughs> over, David. Bravo to you. Um, but, yeah, it's just the way he competes. Yes. That's the non-quantifiable. The fact that the guy never quits on a single point. The fact that he could have easily, in his first-round match uh, here in Tallahassee uh, against uh, Martin Dom, he loses that first set dramatic tiebreaker 7-6. He could have just packed it in and been like, you know what? I won last week, first event on the surface, whatever. It is what it is. I'll get him next week. He didn't do that. Yeah. He didn't do it against Sabath Vild either. He didn't do it after dropping a 6-1 first set against Michael Moe. And to see him fight against Mena and then in particular for Tangelo, who I'm going to pat myself on the back, even though he didn't win the event, he did end up making the final. It's just he saw a bunch of different game styles. He saw some really physical tennis in his last three matches and he never wavered and I guess yeah. that's that's the skill you can't teach that and he whatever the it is that non-quantifiable factor that so many of the top pros in the world have he's got it right he knows right. how to maneuver a tennis match yeah so speaking of Martin Don I mean he Don has a big lefty serve and he only mm-hmm. won 62 percent of his first serve points and 35% of his second serve points against uh, Brooksby, which is great, gr- great return numbers against someone like Dom with his serve. Um, who I, and again, I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of Dom in the future, uh, a lot more of him. Uh, yeah, for Tangelo, poor guy, he had saved uh, 19 of 14 break points before the final, and then he saved zero of five, uh, five break points in the mm-hmm. final. Just to show that mental toughness. And here's something else from the Mike and Noah pod that I'm going to be talking <laughs> that I like, that I want to talk about. Is Please. They were talking about how his excessive celebrations, um, or, and Noah was basically like, get over it. Get over, yeah. the players need to get over the excessive celebrations because apparently they were making waves. And it, we talked about, you talked about how the, the compete, the competition uh, aspect to Brooksby's game that's not quantifiable. He, even in his loss to Fabiano in Miami Qualies, there was that just that fire, that competition, that ability to just hang in there and try everything in your power to to win points, to win games, just to make the other guy feel nervous. And I really respect that. And for the people that don't like it, I, I urge you, you know, think, can you imagine if someone said, if you know, it just goes to show the stuffiness of tennis at times. I can't imagine someone getting offended over something that on a free throw you know, when you're standing at the free throw line in basketball. If you know someone whispers some trash talk and someone's like, "Oh, I don't like that." Um, yeah, I, you know what I'm Yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, having been on the ground in Cleveland, it was very, very clear that Jensen's just he, he gets under opponent's skin. 
And I agree with you, and I agree with Noah's point, and I think we've made that point here as well when talking about Brooksby in the past, with, which is, as a fan, you have to embrace that. This yeah. is a guy who wants to be fighting on court, who wants to be in the fight at all times. And as a fan, how can you not embrace that fact? We want Which, our players to be engaged. That's exactly what Brooksby is, right? He's engaged in the match. Would people at rather Benoit Pair? out there yeah <laughs> well exactly that's what i'm saying it's like would you like someone who is a hundred percent stoic you can never read what's happening on their face you never know what's going on in their head or someone who wears their emotions on their sleeves and i will say i was more the latter sort of player i don't think that's going to surprise anyone <laughs> so i uh, i very much empathize and sympathize with uh brooksby's style of play with i suppose for lack of a better term his antics my flip side and again this is where being on the ground in cleveland i do understand why opponents would get frustrated there was a look on the face of i i'm not gonna say the player one of his opponents in cleveland during the match where he was like are you serious like you really look at the scoreboard and you're gonna get this angry over one unforced error you made in deep in the second set and it was like i get that if I was Brooksby's opponent, I would hate his, you know, I would hate his guts. Like, I totally understand why a player would feel that way. I don't know. I, and I don't, you know, again, Noah addressing how fellow players feel, that's why he but does his thing. Players, but I, I don't think any fan feels that way, do they? But these players should know that all it takes is one point to change a match. Sure. Is that anything, you know, even, I remember there was, a, I think, Tara Moore, or Someone played a match where they were six oh five up and that and they can't or they were oh six oh five down and they came back and won. You just can never take a point off in professional tennis, or you know usually you can't. Um, just because these players are so good, all it takes is just a little swing to change totally change the course of the match. So that's my opinion. No, again, you're right. At the same time, can you imagine going up against that on a tennis court, David, and just knowing that you thought you hit 17 winners already in this match and he's tracked down 16 of them, and then as he tracks them down comes the additional grunt as well? It would frustrate... It would frustrate the hell out of me. But again, I think Noah's speaking from a player perspective, right? Not a fan perspective. Fans... I believe, have thoroughly embraced Jensen Brooksby. And you look, again, for Brooksby now on the season, 23-4. and He's winning 85% of his matches. If you do that over a three-month stretch, four-month stretch now, uh, really three because it started for him in February, I think the the next remaining question, and I, I sort of said this on an earlier podcast, but and then I promise we're going to move on from Brooksby, folks, after this, but when you talk about what's next for him, We've mm-hmm. talked about the serve, David, and I think that's a really good problem to have. When your biggest issue moving forward is, well, you need to add a little bit more pop, a little bit more placement on your serve, that is literally the one shot everyone can get better at because everyone's serve does improve over right. the course of their careers. For me, I mean, it's kind of it's twofold. A I still need to see it on non-hard courts, and I think with his ranking now that he's going to get be able to get into any challenger event he wants, be able to play red clay, perhaps even some grass challengers, that's going to be really good for him. But I really do think the biggest remaining question now, and you said it when we first started the segment, can he do this at the ATP level? It's a testament to his success here in 2021 that that's the last remaining question, but that really is my last remaining question, David. I want his David. Neck can get a little better, a little sure. better too. I think he could, you know, if he, he might need to get a little more con- 
confident at the net. What, do you agree with that? 100%. He's in the Taylor Fritz camp of I don't want to be up there if I don't have to early in my career. Yeah. So, and so, no, oh, I mean, again, now just went down a break in the third. Oh, uh, did he? Uh, yeah. Okay, we're going to get to Nuno at the end, I promise, because I've got a lot of thoughts about my boy. But let's stick here in Tallahassee quickly. I mentioned the fact Bjorn for Tangelo after that 7 6 6 7 7 6 victory over Ivo Karlovich did end up making the final of this event. He gets victories uh, over uh, Watanuki, who retired in the round of 16. Then he gets a win over Ty Kwiatkowski. Dennis Kudla, who followed up his Orlando final with a semifinal here. Good week for the Orlando Challenger crew. And then ultimately, again, it was Brooksby who knocks off for Tangelo in that three-set final. What do you, you think look... of, uh, of the dust-up between Fertangelo and Kwiatkowski? Ah... Uh... I mean, again, it's a lot of emotion on these courts, and it's tough because it was hot, it was humid, it was sticky in Tallahassee, it got windy as well later on in the week, and it was a really competitive match between Ty and Bjorn. Now, you know, again, the way Ty competes, it's going to get under the skin of some opponents, and I just think that was more of an in-the-match moment than anything yeah. else. What do you think? Yeah, I actually, I kind of, I actually And can you explain what happened for our listeners? Sorry, yes, just so, so they know. Basically, Kwiatkowski was uh, screaming or was talking to himself at the baseline or mm-hmm. behind the baseline after he missed a shot. And Fertangelo didn't like that. Uh, he he basically said after the match, I believe, he said, you're you're a really good player. You don't need to be doing that type of stuff, um, mm-hmm. which I agree with. I but from but I don't think it's his place to say that to Ty, you know. It's interesting because Bjorn has quietly, and I think he's, what, 27 years old? Maybe he turns 27 later this year, and if not, 28. He's quietly become one of the elder statesmen in American yeah. tennis. And you know what was even funnier than that was seeing uh, incredibly well-behaved. And I have to say, I've gotten the chance to work with him a couple of times, and I very much have enjoyed that opportunity Ryan Harrison as well, like embracing yeah. everyone in the crowd. You know, he and Donald Young played about as courteous of a match as those two can play. And then I know he and Michael Moe go back to the IMG days, but the embrace they had at the end of their round of 16 match. It's interesting because to an extent, I I really, you know, I having known Bjorn the way I do, his intentions were pure. He was not trying, you know, again, to say that immediately after the match when the emotions are high, maybe that's something you shoot as a text after the match a couple hours later, like, hey, man, you really fun match. Sorry I had to win. Also, just saying you're too good to be doing that. Like, I understand a text there. To do it right at the net when things ended, it, it is a bull. I, I would also have taken offense, right? Because if you're tired, you're like, you just beat me, man. Like, shut up. And I wasn't even talking to you. I was talking to myself. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But no, it's it was an interesting dust-up. That being said, you look for Bjorn Fertangelo here this season, who in the ATP race, he's 76th, so 76th most points accumulated thus far on the season. He's back into the top 200 at number 194. 27 years old is the American who won the challenger on the indoor hard courts in Cleveland. He's now on his best surface here back on the dirt. I watch him play, and again, I saw it in person, so I'm a little bit biased. 
I think he's playing the best tennis of his career, and health issues have been such a big problem over these past 18 months for Bjorn, and we know when healthy. He's cracked the top 100 before in his career, and yeah, and he's a guy who has, it felt like, perennially floated between number 100 and number 120 in the rankings. I think that's where he belongs. I think he's going to work his way back up there quickly, but I also think he could make a push to the top 100 because, I mean... Talk about a well-rounded skill set. His he just he can do everything. Like I, I really do. Nothing. Yeah, and nothing's overwhelming. But everything. Yeah, you're right. But he made the most of it. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what a veteran does. Is he makes the most of a draw like that. Um, yeah, I, and especially for him to bounce back from the three-set seven-six affair for Karlovich, it was like that was the tough one. If I can get through that, the rest of the matches, I really should win. And he did that. And to me, yeah. and especially that Kudla match with how nasty those conditions were and just his ability to sort of weather the storm literally, I was really impressed. Yeah, I mean, in that Karlovich match, there was one break point combined and, and Evo saved it. Evo hit 31 aces. That was a yeah. tough match. Won 82% of his first serve points. I mean, and then Bjorn also won 84% of his first serve points. That was a match where there were no, you have to win the tie breaks. It was tie break roulette, you know, Uh, Mm -hmm. and Bjorn was able to give mini from a mini breakdown in the third set tie break was able to get it done. So yeah, that was great. Oh, shout out yep. to the mini break as always. Yeah, I mean, when you look at Bjorn, 17 and 10 now in his last 52, uh, having talked to him in Cleveland, and if you guys want to hear that conversation, you can find it on our Cracked Interviews podcast. I date back to his decision to play Futures at the start of February, to go play a couple of Naples events just to get some matches in. Clearly, it helped his confidence. And by the way, looking back, he lost a quarterfinal match in three sets to Christian Harrison in Naples. Obviously, Harrison's playing some really good ball right now. And so I just think Bjorn is regaining his form, starting to play his best tennis once again. Obviously, the guy he beat in the fin- uh, in the semifinals, Dennis Kudla, now 19-12 and 12 in his last 52 weeks. That includes a run to the Orlando final, a run now to the Tallahassee semis. He made finals of Kerry, where he won the title back in November as well. Currently number 117 in the rankings. That feels about right for Kudla, but certainly on the right weeks, he is a threat to beat anyone and win any challenger title, but uh, certainly made perhaps was, even better than that. He was fatigued in this match against Fratangelo. He had 100%. just the final of Orlando. Um, he played a very tough physical match against Giannu in the uh, quarterfinals which lasted almost uh, two hours, 45 minutes. Um, And Giannu, by the way, played an excellent tournament. Um, I wanted so I I, I I really want to hear your thoughts on him just to wrap the Kudla thing because yes. it wasn't just that match. It was three three-set matches, right? Rabakov, yeah. uh, oh, Richard, Richard, and Giannu. Was, I don't know how he pulled that one up. He was down. Exactly. He was down, um, he was down in the... Uh, third set uh, tie break 4-1 double mini breakdown and he managed to come back and win that 7-5 yeah that was he had a brutal week but you know what it was it's a testament to his uh mentality that he was able to win three three setters in a row no, again, he is a fighter through and through. It was a great week for him. In terms of your quarterfinalists, you did have uh, young, I believe he's what, I want to say 19 years old, uh, turns Janu. 20 in September in Philip Janu. That is correct. Of course, your other quarterfinalist, Michael Moe, uh, the young American. And then 
two much-needed quarterfinals for a couple of former college tennis standouts in Ty Kwiatkowski and Mikhail Torpegard. Now, we talked about a lot of the round of 16 matches last week, but want to get to end the Tallahassee conversation here. Your thoughts on young Philip uh, Janu, because I was impressed, David. Yeah, so first off, uh, yeah, Janu... He actually played a. He almost lost in qualifying to your guy Kovacevic. Uh, in the Gianni won that uh, seven six in the third. It was a really, you know, he really was so consistent from the baseline. He took he took his chances to get aggressive, but he was he was just a rock from the baseline and a wall out there. Uh, mm-hmm. Great, I think uh, he's going to do well on clay this year. Uh, definitely better on slower surfaces compared to faster ones and then i also want to uh, i also want to uh give a shout out to facundo mena uh mm-hmm. in the finals he had lost uh, eight matches in a row before this week mm-hmm. but he really turned it around he had a he had a nice win in the quarterfinals over Torpegard. um he when his game is on he's a good clay quarter um he has a pretty good serve uh he he uh, is aggressive out there good forehand and it was great to see him play well this week finally um yeah no i would echo all of those things i thought uh to get back to the genu uh, uh fact i thought sorry that form if for- i went off course no first of all this is why we'd love to have you david but um for Janot, that four and four win he had over um, Menendez in the in yeah. the round of 16 was particularly impressive right after and, uh, i uh predicted Menendez Menezes to win the tournament. <laughs> well, I mean, that was just a given that that was going to happen. But, yeah. I mean, again, you look for the 19-year-old now. He's 21-18 and 18 in his last 52 weeks, has started to dip his toes at the challenger level, which makes sense given he cracked the top 400 of late. He made, you know, come through qualifying to make the round of 16 in Lil the week a couple of weeks earlier and to come through qualifying make quarterfinals in Tallahassee and just you know his past four events he's had to play qualifying in challengers he's qualified for three of them the only one he didn't was when he lost to another fellow rising young talent in uh, Adrian Andreeve yeah I, I need to see more but you're right the slow surface it makes sense for me uh it makes sense that he would prefer a slower surface has a, a little bit bigger back swings but no I, I I was really impressed by him and then overall just top to bottom for how quick the transition was from the hard courts of Orlando to the green clay in Tallahassee I thought the yeah. quality of play was pretty high this week what do you think in Tallahassee um or yeah in Tallahassee yeah um yeah I would say I would say so um a lot of uh compelling matches whether it be you know Cudla's run you know, uh, or uh, that, or Brooksby um, playing Mena in the semifinals with the rain delay, and it was mm-hmm. a lot of close, fun matches. And it was, I, I just, you know, we were looking at the calendar before this started. I just wished that there was more green clay uh, during. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, yeah, that's that's not a shock. Uh, to yeah, that you're uh, that yeah, I, I um, you know what. I don't know how I feel about the green. I, clay is clay. Like, is it green? Is it red? I don't really care at this point. I don't, I don't care either, but those tournaments are in our time zone. So I that's, yeah, that's the real... <laughs> that's the real kicker. That's a very good point. But anyways, 
It was an exciting week of action in Tallahassee. Jensen Brooksby earning challenger title number three uh, of his season. Uh, But with that in mind, let's move on now to uh, one of the other events we saw unfold last weekend. It's a guy we have talked about on this podcast before, David. Nicolas Iari, who was a top 70 player, even top, I believe, 60 player in the world before uh, he tested positive for performance-enhancing substances. He subsequently dealt with a suspension that saw him off the tour for, I think, a full year. Uh, Now, if you're looking for a silver lining, I suppose he got to serve the majority of that uh, suspension during the pandemic uh, season last year. But you look for him. He's been playing a bunch of challenger-level events. We saw him in the South American swing as well. But he gets his probably best result since coming back from suspension, winning the challenger title in Ecuador. He knocks off qualifier Nicolas Maya. 7661 in the final. You look for Jari on the week. Wins over Maya, wins over Chelik Bellic, wins over Tarante, Sikaguchi, and then also his first round win over Nicolas Alvarez. He didn't drop a set this week, David, and he was only pushed to 7 6 in two sets. I mean, I think it was the court speed in particular and the conditions in Ecuador that helped, but. I mean, his serve and forehand, I was like, this guy might actually not just be, he might be better than Juan Martin Del Potro, like with how hard this ball is looking on this challenger feet. His forehand was flying through the court, David, this week. So I just want to run through some first serve win percentage numbers. Do it. Against Alvarez, it was 93% first serves won. Ridiculous. Against Sakaguchi in the second round, it was 88%. Against Tarante, who was a good player, it was 94%. Against Ugo Carabelli in the sem- in the semifinals, which a match which he was throwing up during was sick, he still won 78%. And then in the final against Nicolas Mea, it was 80% first serves won. That's ridiculous numbers for first serve. He was just, let's be honest, he was too good for the field. Yeah. No, it's unbelievable. It's um, It really is just... He, he was a different level this week, and it was one of those things where I'm glad you read those numbers because you could see those numbers manifesting themselves. And there were times when his serve just looked untouchable. If he got a look at a plus one ball, like the point was over. He was hitting a forehand winner, and again— some of that was very conditions-based. And you look at the draw for him, it wasn't exactly a, a murderer's row, a gauntlet <laughs> for him. Uh, certainly, this was probably the least stacked of the three challengers that happened this week. But you look for the 25-year-old who, you know, born October 11th, uh, that is the same day as my bar mitzvah. So he's also 11th, 95. I'm October 6th, 95. We're five days apart. Shout out to you, Nicolas Yari. I also do performance <laughs> enhancing substances, so we have a lot uh, in common. But, I mean, yeah. Which substance? It was just... Yeah, I'd answer that question, but my mom listens to the show, David, so we'll talk about it off mic. But anyways, um, you look for him now here uh, since he was able to resume play. He's 9-7 and seven in his last 52 weeks, but you look at last year, it was three losses, two. It's funny, he loses to Nicolas Alvarez in Lima last season. He's obviously redeemed that since. Lost to Zane Khan, lost to Felix Corwin since then. You know, he has really started to take off. He his own, he lost to Surindolo in three sets, lost to Benoit Straits. I guess that's not a great loss. Lost to Tiafo, 7-6-6-7-7-6. His only other loss to Juan Pablo Varias, which obviously on a clay court, uh, it's not a bad loss by any stretch of the imagination. But he's clearly getting better. 
He's clearly yeah. refining his rhythm. And just, oh, so his peak raking was number 38 back in 2019. And you can understand why, because that serve, that forehand, belongs on the ATP level. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it was a, it's, it was a process. When he first came back uh, against a guy like Alvarez, it just, his game wasn't clicking it. You can see how he needs to be landing those first serves, that big forehand. He needs to be able to get himself in a good position when he comes up to the net. And he just, at the beginning, his game was just a little off, but he improved. The match you mentioned, Sarandolo, I remember that was a massive choke uh, for Yari. Uh, he had two match points on his serve, and he ended up getting broken. But with every match, he mentality got better. His game started to click more, and it all came together this week where he just raced through the field. He, even that loss to Tiafau, he could have easily won that match. Uh, it was 9-7 in the third set tiebreak. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, just a really high level, and he played like an ATP player should against the challenge and against challenger field. No, it's um, yeah, it's I mean he yeah, it was an event he should have won and he did win it, and certainly now he, I believe he's in the or he was in the draw here this week as we have event number two, uh, in Ecuador. But I, I'm not sure if he ended up pulling out after this result. Let's see in the draw. Do we still have an appearance from Nicolas Jari in Ecuador this week? We'll get to that later on. So I'll keep that. Or I guess here we go. Now it is pulled up. Do we have him in the draw, David? We do and he is a special exempt and he starts his tournament today against Orlando Luz so certainly we saw him thrive in those conditions last week he didn't drop a set and you know with the rain delays everything he got a little break towards the back half of the week certainly Nicolas Yari is gonna sorry go ahead I'm saying who's gonna beat him maybe Van Rieten yeah uh no my boy Skander Mansuri is gonna beat him he's just gonna hit him off the court that all that match is gonna see is big forehands I mean, I'm looking at the field right now. Selleck Bilek, Van Rieten are really yeah, good. I mean, he just beat Selleck Bilek last week, right? It's like, so even then, yeah, I mean, he enters this week as the favorite. He's got the but most Van Rieten will be tough in the second round. No, that'll be a very fun match. Uh, and Van Rieten, by the way, was able to come back from, I believe, a set down, or was down in that third set and end up getting that 7-6 in Eight the third six. victory. Yeah. yeah, we talked about him last week. He's making a move right now. He is clearly having a moment. But you look, again, at the rest of the results. It was Maya in the final. Celic Bellic, Carabelli, your semifinalists, uh, Marcelo Tomas Barrios Vera, Tim Van Richeven, Tiago Tarante, and Adrian Menendez Maciaris, your other quarter finalists uh, oh, at like the event. Yeah, I was going to say, any any final ads? Any final things you'd add to uh, your watching. recap of Ecuador? I, I'm one of the only ones, I think, on the internet that likes Menendez Messieras. Uh <laughs> I love him. You know, he's kind of like Brooksby in that he's very expressive on the court. He cares full effort. He's going to try to get under your skin. And I like those type of players. Uh, you know, I like my Roger Federer's too, but you, you, you need uh, a... <laughs> Menendez, Messieres, and Brooksby's for every better. Um, what you don't need is guys like Benoit Pair disrespecting the game or Nick here <laughs> causing issues on my night. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> no, I'm just yeah, kidding. I um, saw that what he said yesterday. Very. Or what he said on Instagram going after Tomic. It's like Tomic's showing the. And I know that he has reasons why he's not on tour, but Tomic is out there grinding right now, you know, on the Challenger tour when he. He, you know, I don't really think Curious should be talking, but, you know, that's just me. Yeah, no, I mean, again, welcome to, uh, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. (laughs) 
that's yeah that's all things <laughs> yeah i have nothing to add to that you nailed it david um all right with that in mind quickly we'll run through rome one wild card adria pellegrino a winner over huko gaston in a three-set final your semi-finalists at the event were juan papo Vrias and young czech vic capriva your quarterfinalists my guy sebastian ofner who we have talked about before i still have a little bit of stock on the ofner bandwagon your other quarterfinalists tristan lamasine elias emer lorenzo giustino Anything you want to add about the Rome uh, challenger we saw unfold before we get into this week's action? Yeah, so uh, Pellegrino is a really clean ball striker. He's fun to watch. He he has great control over his grand strokes, and it really and he really hits the ball, uh, yeah, cleanly. Uh, and he and then with great precision. Um, so he's a fun player to watch. Gaston, I don't like his game as much as Pellegrino. Yeah, the guy like Pellegrino mm-hmm. to be honest. Yes, he has the drop shots, but. I'm surprised he's had as much success as he has, to be honest. A thousand percent. I I I don't like it it's good, it's funky, but I don't I don't know if I see a home for it at the HEP level because it just feels very attackable. The serve isn't that great. Uh yeah. you can he hits the ball kinda of soft and there's a lot of slices, yeah, and a lot of elevated junk that he throws at you. It's it's very unconventional, but not in the Brooksby way where Brooksby just you know, he tracks down everything. There's a lack of flash for Brooksby. Hugo Gaston's game has a lot of flash to it, but I don't know how much, you know, substance there is to it, if that yeah, makes sense. He got kind of lucky in the, or not lucky, but he, in the mm-hmm. semifinals against Varias, Varias, what, you know, he Gaston was up a set, but Varias was up 5 3, 30 love in the second set to take it to three, and then he didn't win another game. Um,. <laughs> I mean, Gaston, I'm, like, I'm surprised he beat a guy like Kokonakis in the second round, 6-2, 6-3. I just kind of—I didn't watch that one. I, yeah, I wonder what was going on there. Um, no, I 100% agree. I rewatching the highlights. It just felt like Kokonakis didn't, couldn't find his rhythm in the match. Like, he just was a little bit off from start to finish. And you look, Kokonakis is a guy who is a rhythm-based player. If you're throwing him junk at his feet and getting him in the middle third of the court, that's not where he wants to be. That's why Gaston's game works at the same time. Yeah, it's like... If you're disciplined enough and have big enough weapons, you feel like you can. Any opponent can hit through him, right? And I mean, again, he just he just made a challenger final. The guy's top 150 player in the world. He is very, very good, and his his variety is going to throw a lot of people off. Yeah, exactly. But do I think he's a guy who's going to be a staple of the top 50? No, I don't. I do think he can be a top 100 player, but top 50 that's a little high as a ceiling for me. Yeah, no, I mean, that French Open run will always be one of the most perplexing runs I've ever seen because I, I just don't I, I don't understand how he almost beat team. I, I just don't, you know, yeah, he has a good drop shot, but there's just not something, not, doesn't jump off the page at me. Um, and I'm a guy who loves Mute, and I don't know, I just, not super impressed. Um, but good for him for making the final, and good for him for having as much success as he has. No, completely fair. And uh, again, you look at Rome overall, it was a fun first week event. Now, the cool thing for us tennis fans 
is we get Rome Part 2 this week. We also get Ecuador Part 2 and then our third Challenger event this week happening in Ostrava. That's where I want to go now uh, to wrap up today's podcast conversation. You look across the board right now entering round of 16 at these various events. We already had, I believe, uh, our number, uh, you know, top, a couple of top seeds eliminated across the board. We'll start in Ostrava where number two seed Diego Sabathvild was knocked out by qualifier Alex Mulcan in the first round. Mulcan then goes on to knock off Sebastian Baez today, handling Baez, I believe, only his second loss uh, yeah, of the season. Yeah, but Baez was very injured. He could yeah, but... Exactly. I was going to say, there's some context there. Uh, Baez ended up cramping in that third set, but Mulcan, certainly a great start to his week. He'll now match up against Elias Emer, who has wins over Kresge and Stakowski. Arthur Rinderneck, battle of the college tennis, uh, former college tennis standouts. Five and four win for him over Braden Schnur. He'll now play Lucas Klein, who has gotten wins over Peter Polanski, Lucas Rosal this week. In terms of tomorrow, it's Barrer, Echeverry, Olivo versus Tabilo, Pullmans versus Istamin Lahek. Our guy taking on Benjamin Bonzi. Your thoughts on everything happening in Ostrava? Well, first off, you didn't mention this, but I wanted to say it. Um, <laughs> I'm very happy to see Adam Pavlasek back. Um, he yes. played qualies. He beat Jaziri, then he lost uh, to Ate in qualies, um, which was uh, nice to just nice to see him back. And from 2015 to 2016, he was a really good challenger player. And then he had some wrist issues um, and complications and then the pandemic. Um, and so I think he's getting back. He, from what I saw, he's getting back to his old level pretty quickly. Um, don't sleep on Lucas Klein this week. Uh, he has a good, uh, he's a really powerful, good controlled aggression game. Um, and I think he could make some noise this week. Um, you're talking, and then... Um, yeah, uh, Mulkin also, I love watching Mulkin. So it's such a fun game. He's consistent, but he has, he's, he pulls some surprises. Uh, he really massages the ball around the court, uh, right where he wants the ball to go. It's a fun game to watch. Um, yeah, Rinderneck, I'm not super high on him on clay. I think he's better on faster surfaces, uh, with his big serve. Uh, but, he, it was a good win today over Schnur. Um, yeah, looking at the draw, Etcheberry, by the way, was set in a point away from a double breakdown, uh, and he ended up coming back to beat Zdanek uh, Kolar. He has a great second round, a blockbuster second round match against Barrer in the mm-hmm. second round. Um, yeah, I mean, what do you think? What do you think of the draw? Is there anyone that's standing out to you? Yeah, I mean. I think Rinderneck, I disagree with you a little bit. I think his power kind of transcends surface. Like, I do obviously think his game works best on a hard court, but when you just see the decisiveness with which he plays, that serve-forehand combo is going to be effective on any court, and it's so hard to play clay court tennis on your back foot, and that's what Arthur Rinderneck makes you do. He makes you play on your back foot, and I have a type, right? I think anyone who listens to these podcasts have been called out on it before. If you're 6'4", 6'5", Five six six fluid as an athlete. I think that's your definition of a modern tennis player in the men's game. And so Rinderneck does meet all of those athletic qualifications, but he's also just sneaky fluid. Like he's not, it is a little one dimensional in that he's trying to play power tennis, but it's not an, it's not a, you know, it's not a robotic one dimension. He can play in the outer thirds. He is comfortable off of both wings. 
I'm not saying he's going to be a top 25 guy on tour. Let's not be ridiculous. But I do think he's going to have success across surfaces. And I really, the more I watch him play, I think he's going to get to the top 100. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, his serve. His serve against Borg in the first round was good. He won 73% of his first serve points and 65% of his second serve points. Today, he was a little more shaky and on the second serve where he only won 46%. Um, I guess it just against Kecmanovic in uh, Belgrade, he won uh, only 41%. I think he, I, I guess for me, I just wonder if he's not getting as many free points on serve is he going to be able to hang in there and he's done a decent job so far in clay but i just i guess i just want to see more uh, yeah no completely fair i totally yeah I, again i'm not trying to say that i think he's gonna win the you know the french open or anything crazy i just think i do want to see him play more matches not on hard courts because i think his game translates but yeah. that is again that's a good question for us to answer here throughout the rest of 2021 certainly if 2020 was any indication rinder next uh, game is heading in the right direction uh, but again ostrava just one of three events this week we talked briefly about ecuador i suppose we already had number two seed joe menendez uh knocked out by former wake forest standout skanderman Suri, who earned a 6-7-6-4-7-6 victory. In terms of 7-6 third sets, we've already had, David, and I think this <laughs> does about as good a job of any as uh, setting the scene for these conditions, how fast these courts are playing in Ecuador. Oh. Uh, Mansuri was 7-6 in the third. Van Richeven was 7-6 in the third. Velati was 7-6 well, in the hold third. On. That okay. match, that was not a power match. That was <laughs> that was a totally different animal, uh, which we can talk about. If you want to. Uh, no, you're you're right. I just will say Aziz Dugas Vercel was a seven six seven five match. Like these matches, the ball is flying. But you're yeah. right. I mean, we talked about it before we started the pod. You are correct. I should not have included that Roberto Sid Augustine Velati match mm-hmm. as a display of the power tennis because it was anything but. But just again, in general, you look across the draw here. You know, some, I, I mentioned this on yesterday's mini break, but JC Aragoni versus Roberto Quiroz is a running back of my favorite college rivalry, UVA versus uh, USC. You've got Emilio Gomez, former Trojan standout, your number one seed here this week. Couple of other dangerous players in the draw as well. Yari, Chelik Bellic. Uh, your thoughts on the action this? Week. Yeah, so that Aragoni's up a set in a break right now over Kira. Let's uh, go, that, JC. That Pelotti uh, Sid match by the it was over three and a half hours. Uh, by the end, both players were like were limping around the court. <laughs> it, was, it was such a scene. <laughs> they just could not hit through each other, and then, which is so surprising because, like you said, it was a fast court. Um, it was a really fast court. Mm-hmm. It has yeah. been, but. For whatever reason, now Bel- Sid is a little more powerful than Veloti, who plays with just a bit more variety. Um, I like Veloti personally because Carlos Berlokes is coach, and I am a huge Carlos Berlokes fan. Um, <laughs> just he plays the type of tennis I like to watch in his uh, in his glory days. Uh, but anyways, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, what? Yes. What I'm sorry. Yes. What I'm watching. Yeah, I, I, uh, there was a question in there, although you gave me a, a much better answer than my question would have warranted. But just in general, again, what are you watching in Ecuador? Uh, are we Let's make some predictions. Are we thinking Nicolas Jari goes back-to-back? Who's going to be, you know, unless Van Riedelvin beats him in the second round, there's no one in the draw who has the game. Yeah, the fire. I hate to agree with you because that means we're both definitely going to be wrong, but I'm going to agree with you. 
Like, I think it is his to beat. Again, watch for Chelik Bellick, whose game style fits perfectly in these conditions, but... Um. Yeah. I like, well. I like Bellick's in trouble now. He's. Dead. Oh, is he down to Toronto? Uh, Toronto's a good. I I've talked about him before. I think Toronto's a good young player. He's better on clay. Yeah, but, that's what I'm saying. I figure on a fast hard court, you take Chelik Bellick. Yeah, but for I'm not watching it. Um, but <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It said Chelik Bellick's close to going down a double break. I mean, a, yeah, a no. break in the second set. Um, no, I appreciate you not watching that match as we podcast. That's very <laughs> kind of you. It took every effort in my body to not watch Nuno drop that third set to Marin Chilch. I so have to admit, I was watch watching that. that in the background. He, <laughs> he had his chance to go up a break in any... Uh, all right, well, if we're admitting it, I have to admit, so was I. Yeah, he <laughs> was... I mean, he was right there. Uh, but his serve, his forehand... Do you want to do two minutes? Let's do two minutes on Nuno quickly. Because... I've made my case for him. You, you now have gotten to see him play a bit of, of a bigger sample size. He beats Brody and Carbeas Benia on clay in qualifying. I would argue both of those wins more impressive than his first round main draw win over Jordan Thompson. Now gets knocked off in three by Chilich. I think the kick serve, the forehand are glaringly obvious. His ability to take returns early, his ability to drive through yeah. that back end. I just think he's damn good. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I... I... I don't know if I would say da- – I mean, rel- yeah. relative relative to – They're all damn good, yeah. I should say to top 200 uh, belongs at the challenger level. Good. I would say, yes, he definitely belongs at the challenger level. I would say, you know, the win over Carbias Bayana was a really good win. Um, like you said, Thompson on clay is a mess. Uh, so, <laughs> I, you know, I don't – like you, I don't take too much stock into that match. But I like the win. Brody's a top out nowadays mm-hmm. um carvalho's Bayana is a, obviously on clay a top out borges in the brody match won 87 percent of his first serve points which is a lot uh, <laughs> on clay and he won 69 percent of his first serve points and 71 percent of his second serve points against carvalho's Bayana, who you know for anyone who watches uh who watches um clay court tennis knows he's a great cl- returner on clay court. So mm-hmm. I think that's impressive. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's solid. That's the way I would describe him. He's a solid player. Uh mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, 100%. I, again, need to see more, uh, but it's not a surprise to me to see him go from having success, obviously, in my opinion, I've said it before, most underrated player in men's college tennis of the 2010s to inside now. You look for Borges with the result here this week. He's up to a new career high of number 300 in the live rankings. It's where he belongs. Like, he, yeah. he's a top 300 player. I'm telling you, oh, only definitely. 24 years old. He's going to continue to get better. I think his biggest missing piece is the athletic component. He's not the quickest, most fleet of foot. But I think he, you know, again, that's something you can teach. That's something you can absolutely get better at. I don't think movement for him is a huge problem. I do think the bigger the weapons he faces, the more it will become an issue for him. But again, to get this result on a Which clay court. the case in the Chilich match today. He, yes. He, he didn't look comfortable out there. 100%. And look, clay courts too. He's going to be more comfortable on hard courts than clay. I'm telling you folks. But his game works. It just works. And that forehand um, I like it. I like it quite a bit, to say the least. Anyways, that's the tangent on Nuno you all deserve. Let's get now to our final challenger in Rome. We have four quarterfinalists already yep. set. Tanasi Kokonakis knocks out Federico Gayo. Alessandro Gianessi straight set win over Jake Clark. Giulio Zeppieri, a win over Melagini. And then your boy, David. Yeah. Juan Manuel Serendolo. Huh? 
No, I was going to say, two good wins for him, though, this week. He beats Lama Seen. I know you were concerned about that. Beats Alexandre Muller as well. Give me the rundown. Your thoughts on JMC this week. Yeah, so for context, I wrote for Last Word on Tennis an article earlier this week about how I just, I think that uh, JMC, Juan Manuel Serendolo, needs to do some tactical changes. I thought that the way he played in Tallahassee, for instance, against uh, Schnurr, where he was basically against the back fence, um, just was not sustainable. But, you know, if he can return the way he, I mean, he's still against Mueller today. He only won 31% of his uh, second serve points and 59% of his first serve points. And against um, against uh, Lamassine, he won um, 33% of his second serve points there. But if he can return the way he has, I mean, Lamassine only won 58% of his first serve points and 24% of his second serve points. And then Mueller today only won 53% of his first third points and 33% of his second third points. Look, if he can return like that, he's going to be able to scrape by these matches. Against Mm -hmm. higher-level players, I'm not so sure. Yeah, I I think that's a very very accurate setting of where Serendolo is right now. And I do want to say for a 19-year-old, there's just a lot of things he can do well. Yeah. Much like Brooksby, he's got that, you know, the it factor where it's like, all right, this guy just knows how to win tennis matches, yeah. and you can't teach that. Um, and it is, you know, he's going to be 12 feet behind the baseline, tracking everything down, trying to bait you into hitting a drop shot because he's always going to track down your drop shot. I mean, the serve is a little bit patty cake, patty cake, baker's man, whatever, but it's still he's 19 like i agree just physically i mean physically yeah it's it's a good question how is his game it would have been better for him i think in the long run if he went to salinas from tallahassee instead of back on the red clay because he needs to learn more how to you know it's not going to work to stand 12 feet behind the baseline on a hard court it's just you're right but wins are wins, and particularly in a young player's career, it's so valuable to get that confidence. That's if he, That's the thing. It's like, all right, let me rack up a couple of clay court results so then this summer I can play entirely hard court challengers and find out what I need to work on to get my game ready for a hard court. At the same time, I don't disagree with you. Like That would have been a nice scheduling move to see him, although those super fast courts of Ecuador would not have done uh, well for his game, at least in my opinion. We talked about him last week. What are your thoughts on Tanasi Kokonakis on the clay and just in general? Because obviously that forehand's ATP level, that serve ATP level, we've seen him do it at the ATP level when healthy. He's played, what, now I think three, four challengers consecutively here over the past few weeks. For him in general, he's gone, yeah, I believe it's been four in a row now for him since the end of Miami. He went quarterfinals in the two events in split. Uh, He ended up losing round of 16 last week to the eventual finalist Gaston. Now into another quarterfinal here this week. 209 currently in the rankings, uh, but certainly 12 and 7 in his last 52, refinding his form. You think he gets to the top 100? Back to the top 100, I should say? You know, he had a really tough win today over a guy. Federico Gallo over Mm -hmm. three hours in three sets. Yeah, I do. Because he has the weapons. He has the huge weapons. And yes, he's not he's kind of mentally in and out of some of these matches. Um, And yes, I would like to see him beat a guy like Gaston because he's, I think, much better than Gaston. But uh, Mm -hmm. I am, I'm cautiously optimistic about him. If he can just 
mentally stay engaged and he can win a couple challengers and get right back to where I think he belongs, which is the top 100. So here's my counter, or not counter, my follow-up to that because I agree with you. Tadashi Kokonakis, go win Rome this week. If you look at the draw, Gianessi, Surindolo, Zepieri. Kokonakis can advance out of that bottom half. Certainly, I would love a matchup for him against Surindolo because, you know, Surindolo can't, he's not going to hurt you, obviously, and Kokonakis is going to have opportunity on opportunity to just hit that forehand he and move. Uh, say that again? He can frustrate uh, Kokon- Kokonakis mentally in these challenges. You know, I think it goes in and out a little bit. I, if he, I can see Kokonakis really getting frustrated with the JMC game. No, 100%, and that's why I want to see him go win it, because prove you can get over that challenge. Be like, you know what? I'm just going to be as disciplined as I can be. I want to win this week. I'm not saying he doesn't want to win any week, but he just locks in and takes advantage of that draw. And then you look at the top half, you know, Surda Rusic, who upset number one seed, Demir Zumher, has been playing some really good ball of late, Chem Ilkel, uh, certainly guys like Petrovic and Pellegrino, who we just saw won a title last week. They're all dangerous but, like, Kokonakis has the biggest weapons in this draw, and I want to see him go win a challenger. Like, he's yeah. capable of doing it, and I think this draw has opened up. This is his week. That's going to be my bold prediction for you, David, to end the podcast. Tanasi Kokonakis is winning in Rome this week. You agree or disagree? Mm, I'm <laughs> I don't. I have a couple things. Um, Good. So, first, I will say I disagree just because it's I just don't trust him yet on red clay um okay I think he would have been you know what you're I would not be surprised at all but I think there's just too many players who I think can win that challenger that I'm just not really confident about anyone winning it to be honest um that's why it's a bold prediction David yes I don't think yes it's definitely bold I and I and I see why you're uh making it I, um, I would say this, though. I'm a little surprised he's not in Salinas playing on because he's a better hardcore player than he is on clay. Maybe he wants to just stick around Europe, but I think he, he could have easily uh, won one of the Salinas challengers if he played there. I think that's exactly what it was, and I love that decision by him. I will say for Kokonakis to be like, no, 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 no. I need to be competing at the ATP level. I need to get red clay repetitions. Yeah. Love the scheduling decision from him. You like so you don't okay, interesting. Because he knows how good he is at a challenger level on a hard court. Yeah. And like I'm not saying that he doesn't need to go prove it again because he does right now with how much time he's missed with injuries. But I love to see him trying to find his rhythm here on clay first, doing the hard stuff uh, while he's got the ranking to take advantage of the opportunity. Then just hoping you know once it's summertime, it's hard court season, his rankings back to where it needs to be, and he can rip through those events. Yeah, I was just kind of thinking in terms of how can he rise up the rankings as quickly as he can. And if he played Salinas, I think he might have won, you know, that one, at least one of the two mm-hmm. events um, yeah. there. So no, that's, it, that's I why, kind of, you know, that why it was just crossing my mind. Like maybe he, you know, he, he could, he might have won Tallahassee. So Tallahassee, hard truths are faster than, um, than typical red clay. So, but I also see what you're saying that playing. Yeah, no. 
I can't disagree with any of that logic, though, David. You're also correct in that it, this is not the most efficient way for him to go from wherever he was in the rankings back to the top 100. That's very, very true. But, you know, certainly he's finding success. Again, three quarterfinals on clay in his last four events, I think. 99.9% of players, everyone not named Jensen Brooksby right now would be like, I'll take that. Jensen's like, ah, can I get a final in there? Like maybe a title. I mean, look at my last five, but you know, certainly uh, for Tenassi Kokonakis and this entire Rome field, it's setting up to be a very fun week of challenger tennis. And with that in mind, you sort of referenced it there, David. I know you wrote about Juan Manuel Serendolo for Last Word on Tennis. You also wrote about Jensen Brooks before our website, CrackRackets.com, this week. You're a busy man right now. Articles, podcasts. What else do you have down the pipeline for all of our listeners? Job applications. <laughs> Job applications, school. Schoolwork, yeah, every all, all the fun stuff. Uh, I, so I guess, you know, it's just coming to the end of the month. So after this week, if we want to do uh, uh, Challenger All-Stars, we could. You know, it make- will be time. I think we should get Damien. Yeah, we should get Damien for the Challenger All-Stars. We can get him on as well. Maybe get Jakob in here too. Just give a big – I like that idea. And, yeah, we we do have Challenger All-Stars coming next week, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I figure you probably want to include this week's results, huh? Yes, 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 I do. I would appreciate that. Yes, thank you. So I guess, you. Um, yeah. Yeah, it'll be a slightly staggered. It'll be like a May 4th, May 5th. Um, yeah. What's the joke? May the 4th be with you, right? Isn't that – that's the joke out there for <laughs> us nerds? I'm not a guy, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not – any people know, you know, my friends know I don't like going to movies. Uh, most of my not yeah. Not a movie guy? What? Yeah. You're Ma- the only thing hotter than your Mac Jones take to start the podcast might be that take right there, David. Sorry, y'all. I like uh, watching reality TV. <laughs> <laughs> that is the Challenger Tour, I'll, though, right? I'll it's take just a- Bama Shore over uh, Star Wars Day <laughs> week. Oh, that's why you're one of my favorites here, David. That's why we will continue to have you on the podcast. Well, again, for all of our listeners out there, they can follow your work at all about at, or at tennis blogger one at the all about tennis blog at last word on tennis, and of course with us at crackedrackets.com. David, as always, it is a pleasure to get the chance to chat with you. Stay safe, stay healthy, my friends. I'm gonna shoot you a text after the draft now, wherever Mac Jones goes. I definitely need to hear your thoughts on that. But just again. In general, always a pleasure to get the chance to chat with you. Thank you, as always, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. And I, I know I say that at the end of one of, of every podcast, but I generally, I genuinely, like, I really do appreciate that. You know, you want me uh, on here. <laughs> that's a, that's what I felt about Tennis Channel. I was like, seriously. I was like, all right, sure. Like, yeah, I'm not gonna say no. That was awesome. Course. Good for congratulations. You and. You deserve that. You really Thank do deserve you. that opportunity. So I appreciate that. You know what they say, those that can't do, talk about doing. And <laughs> so I suppose uh, I may not be able to hit a forehand anymore, but I can certainly talk about forehands. But again, David, thank you so much. Stay safe. Stay healthy. We'll chat with you soon. Bye, y'all.
Hope all of you enjoyed today's Challenger check-in with Crack Rackets contributor David Gertler. I can think of few other guests who would have the range to talk NFL draft at the top and then get into the weeds on all things happening on the ATP Challenger Tour, but of course David is one of the few people capable of doing that, and it is always a pleasure to have him on the show, so thank you again to him for taking the time to chat. Of course, there is a lot going on right now in the tennis world, not just the Challenger action. We've got two ATP events here this week in Estoril and in Munich. We've also got the WTA 1000 level event starting later in the week in Madrid. We've got our final few conference postseason tournaments happening in college tennis. So there's a lot to catch up on. And if you have missed anything, rest assured. You can learn about it all on our website, CrackedRackets.com. We've also got articles this week on Christian Guerin and Jensen Brooksby from our contributors, David Gertler and, of course, Damian Kust. And we are covering all the day's action day in, day out on our mini break podcast. So as always, I will ask that you like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, that show, our Cracked Interviews podcast, and all of the wonderful things we are doing here at CR. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly on at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to the super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westhoffer. You know what? A f- of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out, as well, to our friends at Turn of Tennis. Remember, email sales at uniquesports.com or call 800-554-3707 if you would like to join the Turna team. But with that in mind, for my wonderful co-host today, David Gertler, our super producers, Fliegner and Westoff, our friends at Turn to Tennis, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot. See you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.